Lass So we'll very shortly go into the meditation. Just a couple of comments before. Elaborating a tiny bit on a theme earlier, which is enormously important, and that is, are we practicing Dharma or not? You know, uh, Simply doing the techniques, no guarantee. That Again, that resounding kind of a shocker from His Holiness saying, Shambhata is not Dharma. You know, it's a wake-up call. You know, wake-up call. But if we go right to this, you know, just that simple awareness of awareness, which the Buddha said in the Pali Canon, he called it the Vijnana Kasina, is that that's the most profound of all the Shambhata methods. He gave a wide variety, I think 40 different methods of Shamatha. So this one, this consciousness of consciousness, the awareness of consciousness, that's the most profound uh, among all that he taught in the Pali Canon. And so we take that as an example. If one is feeling kind of stressed out, you say, oh, I think I'd like to, I think I'd like to practice awareness of awareness. Maybe I can loosen up a bit. Then it's a relaxation technique. And that's its full significance. And that is, once you're feeling a bit relaxed, You've just gotten the benefit. And that's the end of the story. You're a bit uptight, now you're a little bit less uptight. Instead of having a massage or slipping into a jacuzzi or taking a Valium or whatever they take these days, you, you took that. Medication, meditation, only one syllable different, right? And so it can, be, it can be that trivial. And nothing bad. I mean, it could be bad. You could be preparing to kill somebody or something. But if we leave out the whole you know, unethical side, the non-virtuous side, it can be just that. And one may do it a lot, because you really, really want to be relaxed. In which case, you're just doing a whole lot of practice for the sake of hedonic well-being. And you may be very good at it, right? And so, at what point does this really have a direction? Because simply being stressed and then not so stressed, and then stressed and not so stressed, uh, doesn't have any direction to it, right? And so when does it have a direction? And the answer to that is... When it's a real sense, when there is a, a sense of definite emergence from samsara, and that's ngenjung, that's renunciation. When there's a, de- a definite sense of emergence from samsara, and that it's, it's twofold, you've heard it before, hear it once again, and that is this deepening and perhaps eventually thorough disillusionment with samsara, and that is, that's even the best that samsara has to offer, you know? the higher realms, form realm, formless realms, but whatever it is, whatever you imagine, the pinnacle, what's the best that samsara could dish up for you? When even that, they say it's like giving grass to a tiger. Well, the tiger's just not interested. They're carnivores. They're not going to eat the grass, you know? So even if you're dished up the bounties of samsara, you kind of just sit there like the Buddha. You know, that's not what I really want. That's, I'm not going to go there. And so that would be this renunciation, okay? On the one hand, that is, the moving away, the, the disillusionment. Disillusionment is the best term. But if it's a definite emergence from samsara, it's got to be emerging towards, and that's clearly having some vision of liberation, what that would entail. And then to hold simply that vision by itself as kind of an isolated image, it's kind of totally then there's a kind of a vacuum, uh, a chasm, a void between where you are and your vision, right? And so that'd be like, you know, wishing you would be a billionaire. Well, okay, but there's just no connection between. You have no strategy. So that was just, that's a nice thought, but you, know, you have no strategy. So there, it's just hovering. Oh, I'd like to be a billionaire. And so then we have this phrase, techetu, in order to do that, in order to do that. And you can do this two, two ways. It's quite nice. But it's, the whole point is to make that connection. 
to see, kind of almost like flowing from your heart, the path. And it's flowing from where you are right now and seeing how that path culminates. And there it is. You reach out and it's the palm of your hand. From your heart to the palm of your hand, right? There's Buddhahood. And how? Because you can see, well, boop, 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 boop. And so you can go in forward, in forward order. You can think, well, of course, I want to establish a really pure basis in ethics of nonviolence, of benevolence. That's it. And on that basis, then really balance the mind. Shila, samadhi, prajna, balance the mind in all different kinds of ways, but of course, including samadhi. Develop that. Transcend the five obscurations in order to achieve liberation. Transcend the five obscurations. Get that extraordinary state of balance, of serenity, of clarity, of, equal, of equipoise. And then, and then using that as a basis, then venture into vipassana and proceed along the path. And so with that vision, with that vision, where you're disillusioned from samsara, but you also have, you also have that vision, not all, and the vision of liberation, complete and perfect liberation, but also the sense, and, the, and here's how you connect the dots. There's a dot, here's a dot, and here are all the connecting. And see, yes, that's, that's inviting, that's possible. Yes, I could do it. Yes, I can be doing it right now. Yes, I am doing it right now. And as soon as that's the motivation, you breathe in, you breathe out, you're on the path. That is, you're going in that direction. You may not have achieved anything irreversible yet, but you are definitely, that's it. You're going in the direction. And every path, in and out, in and out, is moving you towards liberation. Take it a step further to put a chitta. And then, if, same thing, and now I can, I, I can use fewer words. And that is, when, once that, that aspiration arises, and it's deeply rooted in the four immeasurables, the four greats, the exchange of self for other, then when that arises, and you're envisioning now perfect awakening for the sake of all sentient beings, it's the greatest possible good. There's your fulfillment. And then once again you connect the dots. Okay, then how, how? And you bring it back to where you are. And you can go from here up there, or you can, go, you can start up there and then trace it back. So if, you, if you're looking, for example, at the um, Dzogchen, you can look at the highest levels. You can read it. You can read something right here in Natural Liberation. There are the highest, the, the highest visions the vision of extinction into ultimate reality, the culminating vision and the direct crossing over. And you can read about that. And you can read about the kind of realizations, the powers, the wisdom, and so forth and so on that come out of that. And that's right next to Buddhahood, the fourth vision. But then you say, well, what's the third one? Oh, oh that's, that's the third one. What's the second one? Like, oh, and what's the first one? Oh, that's the vision of the direct perception of, of ultimate reality. Well, what, how do you get that? Oh, oh tekchu. Well, how do you practice? Oh, well, vipassana. Well, how do you get, oh, shamatha, oh, sham, okay, I can do that. So you can take it forward or backwards, but the whole point is, and this is why we're studying, this is why we're listening to teachings, sharing teachings, that right, may, right now, some of them will be probably inaccessible. But if you have this vision, and that's really what it is, a vision not only that there is a lofty state known as enlightenment, but a vision, something clear, something accessible, not so daunting that you feel defeated by it before you even start. You see all the connection there. You see that continuum like that. Then, with bodhicitta, then every breath in, every breath out. Every, or, you, or even without any particular awareness of the breath, just resting awareness, you are then moving. You're in motion towards enlightenment. And every session is moving you towards that. Final point before we begin, let's move into Vajrayana. And that is, if you'd like to empower this practice so that it's more than simply a shamatha practice, because bear in mind the same technique, same technique can lead you to substrate consciousness, can lead you to pristine awareness, right? 
And so <clears throat> there are many factors there. But how can we, how do you say, move the odds in our favor? That it will move beyond simply coming and kind of resting like plunk and just resting, coming to settle in the substrate consciousness as if that's where you're going to live for a while. How could we set things up to maximize the odds, so to speak, uh, that as we go into this practice, we're just going to be slipping right on through. Mind dissolving in the substrate, and then maybe a brief pause, and then right on through. How could we how could we facilitate that right now without already having high states of realization and all of that? And I can tell you, the refuge, the bodhicitta. And then, whatever faith you have, you use it. It's like intelligence. You know, it really is like it. It's, we have we have faith as a means to wisdom. But wisdom is intelligence. So how do you how do you develop your intelligence? You, you know, it is it is flexible. Now they've they've discovered fairly recently that IQ, this you know, this IQ, the measure of, of intellect or intelligence, it turns out to be not static. In fact, you can raise you can raise your IQ twenty points in a quite a short time with some simple simple practices. It has to do with short term. Uh, let's see, what is it called? Uh, not short-term memory, working memory, working memory. Develop your working, I'm not going to elaborate, it's just a tangent, but develop your working memory in a matter of very short time, you can raise your IQ by 20 points. But, this, but also, if you veg out, you're just watching television, you're just lounging around, you're just never using what intelligence you have, then you can, you can lose it. It, will, it can get worse. It can, you can lose your IQ, right? Uh, it's said that if you get to stage four, Stage four out of nine stages to shamatha, and you want to take this very seriously. If you get to stage four in shamatha, with more stages to go, obviously, and you get into that flow where you just there's no excita- no coarse excitation, you can meditate for an hour, maybe even longer, and you're always there, and you're in the groove, and you get really complacent, and maybe you've not heard about nine stages. You think this, I think this must be shamatha. It's really not it's really very peaceful, and I really like that. And you just kind of hunker down as if you're hunkering down or sitting down into a big, fat, easy chair that just sinks when you sit in it, like, whoa, like Java the Hutt. You know, like, Is that a good imitation? I think it must have been a good imitation. <laughs> so you settle into complacency. I'm making people sick here. <laughs> uh, what happens if you do that? What happens if you make that a habit? And you just start, you know, going to retreat? And you're just going to go into the Java, Java the Hut meditation. Just complacency, really peaceful, really, oh, this is nice. You become stupid. You become stupid. You fall into a stupor, and then the stupor makes you stupid. And then the long term, uh, get ready, you might start practicing barking. <laughs> get into the habit, you know, because this is how you'll be talking in your next life. <laughs> they say literally, you're born as a dog. You know. And so, how to maximize? How to maximize? So, pure vision. Bring the dip, bring in, invite this practice, which can be a relaxation technique, can be a, a sravakayana technique, can be a mayana technique. Bring in the devadriana, bring in the dzogchen. And so, as, and as you're going into the practice, settle, maybe refuge bodhicitta, and then supplication. Supplication to your yidam, supplication to the Buddha, supplication to your guru, supplication to the indivisibility of your guru and your yidam, asking for prayers, and then the disillusion, the inviting, the disillusion, the imagining 
dissolving everything to emptiness, every aspect of you that is a human being, every aspect that is a sentient being. Imagine just, like, like it just, we've seen, I've seen it in, science, in science, science fiction where they'll have an image of somebody and then they just go, blah, 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 and it just particulates. You, you must have seen that. It's pretty common, I think. But, you know, they get hit with a ray gun or something and they just, blah, 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 and, and it's gone. They just kind of just dis- dissolve into particles and the particles are just gone, right? Do that to your body. Do that to your body. Just gone. And the speech and the mind and the sense of identity that's with it all just... And then dissolve. Dissolve into Dhammadhatu, Dharmakaya. And then out of that arise with your mind indivisible from that, let's say, of Guru Ramaji, would be a good choice, resting there. And then release the imagery. Release the visualization. And with that sense that you're beginning the practice from their perspective of Guru Rinpoche's own mind. That will be a big boost, really a big boost, for this transcending simple shamatha and being the, the kind of the, the express, the express train, right through shamatha land and right on through into pristine awareness. So life is short, and we may as well make the best use of our time. And the best use of our time is not simply being better and better at the technique, after a while, you're doing it correctly, so you can't do it any better for the time being. That's it. But then we can, we can enhance. It's called bokdun. Bokdun means enhancing, empowering. Bokdun. Uh, and there are many ways this crops up a lot in, in Buddhism, but ways of kind of supercharging or empowering your practice, not just by following the technique, but bringing in something that will just give it this extra, extra boost. Okay? Legal steroids. Something like that. Okay. I think that's enough. And now that I've spoken all of that, then I can be quiet. Let's have 24-minute sessions, silent. Choose your own method and your own posture. And then we'll continue with the text. Let's complete this um, bardo of dreaming. So we're in, on page 166. And I'm just going to re-read the uh, couple of sentences from the last passage so we have a nice smooth segue to the new material today. Um, just a little bit above halfway up the page on 166. If you recognize the luminosity and emptiness on that occasion, which is free of the intellect, which transcends all concepts, this is called recognizing the clear light. That is similar to the dissolution of consciousness into the clear light at at the time of death. So this is training for the intermediate state between death and rebirth. The present recognition of the dream state is the real training for the intermediate state. And that is the second session. So now he says, now we continue, train in that repeatedly. So you can just be reading over this again and again, read Gyatrinamuchi's wonderful commentary. Train in that repeatedly. A little while after you have gone to sleep, have a companion gently arouse you and ask, have you apprehended the clear light? Okay, so, <laughs> I'm just, as you're laughing, I can imagine a real grumpy answer, like, why did you wake me? <laughs> okay, but this, what, this, what this does remind me of, this, this actually comes uh, not infrequently in other dream yoga teachings that I've, I've heard. Uh, I don't think it came here. I don't recall it. But when a person, is a buddy system for dream yoga, 
And the buddy system is uh, you, one person sleeps, you, you agree. Okay, so, okay, Marta, you and I be buddies. So you're sound asleep. And then, but then I, I agree that when I see you drifting off, then I have a tube, like a straw, or just a tube. And it's about the size of your ear, 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 ear so maybe, you know, a centimeter or so. And when I see you drifting off, and I see you, okay, you just slipped in, or maybe, if, if they're really sophisticated, I see some rapid eye movement, then I would, I would speak through, this, through the little tube, Marta, you're dreaming, you're dreaming. It's actually a practice. Yeah? And you, you want to be very skillful, because if you say it too softly, she won't hear. But if you say it too loud, she'll wake up, and then, you know, no, no help. So the auditory awareness is latent, but it's not non-existent. And so it's a very interesting thing. I'm going on a bit of tangent, but it's kind of cool, and it does relate to this. Um, that you can hear sounds, even when you're you know, fast asleep, when you're dreaming, or what have you. Uh, but if you're dreaming, and a sound comes in from the physical environment, it will make its way into the dream, and will be incorporated, incorporated into your story. So it, somehow it will, be, it will make sense within the story. But if Marta's kind of dreaming, and then this voice comes in, Marta, you're dreaming, she'll hear, she'll hear a voice from the heavens. What, what, Lord? <laughs> you know? But it's enough. You want to say just loud enough it gets through, and not so not loud enough. It's not so loud it wakes her up, and then that's your cue to actually click into lucid dreaming. You know? And so, with modern technology, Stephen LeBerge has this Nova Dreamer, Nova Dreamer, and it's exactly the same thing. The Nova Dreamer picks up rapid eye movement, so it, it's a mask that fits over your face, over, over the eyes, and it, and when the, the the rapid eye movement begins, it detects that, and then. I have one, he gave it to me a long time ago. You can program your own voice with, Alan, you're dreaming. And you hear it, you know, while you're dreaming, and it's kind of a voice, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? uh, but the interesting thing is, the, like with the Nova Dreamer, again, I'm going to wrap this up quickly, is that it has lights. You can have lights, green lights, red lights, and also sound, like beep, beep, beep. And, uh, and those are also, you cue yourself before you fall asleep that if you should see any flashing red lights, that will be your dream sign, and then tell yourself you know, that this is a dream. Or if you hear a beep, beep, beep sound, that's your dream sign. So instead of waiting for anomalies or seeing your dead grandmother or whatever your dream sign is, they're incorporated into this kind of cool technology. But what's interesting about it is, let's say you have a, 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 red, flash, a, a red light that flashes on your closed eyes, but it is sending a signal. Well, you'll be dreaming along, and lo and behold, you'll see some red lightning for example, red lightning. And, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's my dream sign. Or one of the favorite ones is the beep beep, just the beep beep. And this has happened, really. You'll be, let's say, dreaming you're in a city, and you know what's coming? Beep, beep, beep. It's a big garbage truck backing up. You know? And you look around, yeah, there's a garbage truck. I thought it would be there. You know? So it incorporates itself into the dream. So those are skillful means, actually, to become how, learn how to become lucid. But we're now into very deep, deep practice. Right? We're into deep, dreamless sleep practice. And the idea here is not to become lucid in your dreams and then go into, let's say, state of degeneration and go to some pure land with the power of imagination. But have your, your, your companion wake you up and all by, you know, with, with pre-agreement. So you wake the person up just so they're, huh? Oh, okay. And then you just want to lift them up so they fall right back asleep, but when they go back, they're lucid. Right back in, they're lucid. You know, that's the idea. That's why you wake them up. They just come up a little bit, and then, ooh, but they go back lucid.
That's the idea. So, have you apprehended the clear light? If not, you will by repeating this many times. So you should switch, you know, swap back and forth. Like a husband and wife, for example, take turns. This is called the clear light of realization, and it is, and it is the foremost among all the kinds of clear light. So, encountering this, I didn't really find this, I don't recall finding this among all of that thousand pages of Dzogchen teachings from and through uh, Dujum Lingba. Here's my interpretation. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, it's not going to really throw you. It could be, a, it would be a, more of a nominal error. I think I'm right, though. And that is, with this clear light of realization, my sense of this is that this is equivalent to, or at least strongly associated with, what is called path clear light, or path pristine awareness. And so there's these three modes of pristine awareness. Ji, lam, debu. There's the ground, pristine awareness, and that's always there. That's always there, right? primordial. The path, pristine awareness, is that which through practice, such as, such as this, such as the early phases of identifying pristine awareness and then moving and finding it to get this, get this point, and then we'll see it deepens in the next bardo, which we'll start tomorrow, uh, then this is that cultivation, that cultivation of realization, getting an aspect of, of rikpa here, an aspect there, picking up the scent, and then gradually, in a real genuine realization comes in. So he's calling it the clear light of realization. Is that what he just called it? Yep, clear light of realization. My sense is this which you are training in, and then it yields some realization of rikpa, this clear light of realization. Uh, my sense is it's either identical to or strongly associated with path, pristine awareness, path, pristine awareness. And then again, I could be wrong, because I'm not, I'm really not an accomplished scholar at all of Dzogchen. As I said, Rinpoche is just taking me to guidance text, but not the great, more scholarly text, you know, just really fill it in with a tremendous amount of richness of theoretical framework. I don't have that. Uh, I know a number of, we- a few Westerners really have it well, but I don't. But I have the practice. And so my sense is, that this is also going to be analogous to or very closely related to child clear light, the child clear light versus the mother clear light, right? And the child clear light, once again, is that what you're cultivating through your shamatha, your vipassana, your dzogchen practice, your nighttime dream yoga practice. You're cultivating and cultivating, and it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. It has a, a real evolution to it. It becomes clearer, sharper, freer and freer of conceptualization, any veils of concepts. Uh, but then there's the the ground, the ground clear light, and that which is already there. And that's what manifests when you die. The clear light of death, that's always there. But you're getting it just arising spontaneously. But it's not something you accomplish. But then that's that meeting, like the child crawling onto its mother's lap, the meeting of the mother and child clear light. And that is you have, in the course of your practice, daytime, nighttime practice, you cultivated this child clear light, pristine awareness, path pristine awareness, this clear light of realization. And then when it simply rises up to meet you in the dying process, then there's that recognition, like recognizing an old friend you've not seen for a long time, like a mother and child who've been separated. And then they come together and, oh, there's this recognition. So that's my sense of it. If I'm wrong, this won't harm you. I think I'm right. But let's just go back to the practice. So this is the foremost of all kinds of clear light. If you do not apprehend it by any means, Train in the visionary clear light of experience. So one's called the clear light of realization, and here is the visionary clear light of, re- of experience, and you see they are complementary. 
the clear light of realization going right to Rigpa itself, the clear light of, of exper- visionary clear light of experience, more in that visionary mode, uh, more the creative expressions of Rigpa. Right? So let, let's see what this is about. It's quite fascinating. So position your body as before, present a target, that is a target of your attention by focusing on the clear, vivid, non-dual nature of your, of your root guru, an organ pema, in the center of a four-petal lotus inside your heart. So there it is. Okay. So you're falling asleep with that very, again, it's a very soft, a very gentle, just, just, I can't find a better word, just a very soft visualization. It's not hammering in with samadhi, just gently, like, like holding a butterfly. Like just holding a butterfly. Just like, just, just holding it enough. Fall asleep as before. So of course, you won't fall asleep at all if you're holding it tightly. That's why there's really light touch. Fall asleep as before with your awareness luminous and vivid, and do not lose that sense until your consciousness dissolves into the clear light. Well, this is the clear, now clearly, it can't be anything else, this is the clear light of sleep. So you're going to have the earth dissolving into water, water into fire, fire into air, air into consciousness, and then consciousness into clear light of death, right? And so you can maintain that lucidity through that whole process until finally, coming culminating phase, consciousness dissolves into the clear light. First, the time of deep sleep. So you're going right, you know, making a beeline, a direct route from the waking state right into non-dreaming deep sleep. First, at the time of deep sleep, vividly remain in luminosity and emptiness without recollection. So I've explained all this before. So just remain there. And thereafter, instead of of being aroused into a dream as a substitute for that, let the form of organ pema clearly appear in your heart. Okay? So you've dissolved into kind of just this sheer pristine awareness and dhammadhatu, or into emptiness and, cl- emptiness and luminosity, luminosity and emptiness. But then resting there, then you allow that, that, how do you say, that pristine awareness to take on the form of Padmasambhava, clearly appearing at your heart, and then something quite extraordinary happens. Then a clear vision of your entire body then your bed, then your meditation hut, and the surrounding environment will arise as if you were seeing it in daylight. So quite interesting. Uh, Gyatranabhaja says in his commentary, it's very much like having, and probably simply is having, an out-of-body experience. Out-of-body experience. But it's going right into the nucleus, and you're going right into pristine awareness. But then instead of going into that utterly transcendent aspect of pristine awareness, you know, just pristine awareness and emptiness, by catalyzing it, by bringing forth an image, an image of Gurumbachi in your heart. It's going to stay there. You're not going to come up to the throat. You're not going to go up to the dreaming, let alone up to the head. You're going to stay there. Then that catalyzes, I'm finding my own words here, that catalyzes this more creative aspect, the rikbetzella, the creative aspect of illuminating, illuminating your actual physical environment. Now, you are asleep, and in fact, you're deep asleep, but now your awareness is illuminating your room. And it's illuminated, you don't have to keep the lights on. It's being illuminated by your awareness. Right? So there are, it's a very fascinating area for comparative study, and I think some extraordinary scientific study could take place here if there were really accomplished yogis, because there's a good deal of evidence now. It's get, uh, to my mind, it's very compelling 
uh, people are having near-death and post-death experiences. They actually are dead by medical standards. They are dead, and then they have these out-of-body experiences. And the interesting thing is not simply a vision of like heaven, like Eben Alexander and his vision of heaven, proof of heaven and so forth, um, which is fascinating. And the most fascinating part is he had it when his brain was really not functioning. So the parts of the brain normally needed to be very, very active when that type of imagery are taking place were totally inactive. And that was the extraordinary thing. Does that prove heaven? I, not to me, but it does show that there's this level of experience. But this is where you're having this out-of-body experience. Your brain is shut down. I mean, you're dead. Because your, your mind has dissolved into clear light. Into the clear light, right? But instead of simply dwelling there, utterly with, removed from the environment, in this clear light of death, the clear light is illuminating your environment, and you're having an out-of-body experience. But you see it starts to grow. You know? So it goes from... But, you're, but what the really crucial point here, you are not witnessing simple... Uh, how do you say, creations within your substrate, like a dream. It's not private. This is intersubjective. And so as you're witnessing, with this clear light vision of your own pristine awareness, as you're witnessing your surroundings, if there are people in their surroundings, and they're maybe having tea or they're talking and so forth and so on, you're going to be witnessing what they say. And when you come out of samadhi and you tell them, yes, that's what we said, that's the deal. And this actually has happened. Uh, there's some very, very compelling accounts of this in modern science by people who are not yogis, but they're, they're dead, and they're having out-of-body experiences, and they are witnessing things taking place in the hospital that can be confirmed. It gets pretty interesting pretty quickly. But you see it gets interesting here in this Buddhist context, because you're not simply having an out-of-body experience. You're coming here through the Dzogchen door, right? This is something special. And so as so, then a clear vision of your entire body, then your bed, so again we see this expansion, then your, your meditation that the surrounding environment will arise as if you were seeing it in the daylight, as this vision is greatly purified. And I think we really want to watch the words here, because this is significant. As your vision is greatly purified. In other words, you're not simply having an out-of-body experience. You're not like, 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 a bardo, like a bardo being, simply witnessing, well, gosh, you're, you're watching over your funeral and so forth. This is not just an out-of-body experience. This is out-of-body experience from the context of Dzogchen. Right? And so as the vision is greatly purified, what's cropping up now? Mount Meru, together with the four quadrants, or often called the four continents of this world, will appear clearly. Such a vision is called the visionary clear light. Now visionary, obviously, because we have these two modes of primordial consciousness. One is knowing reality as it is, that's going right to Dhanadhatu, and the other one is knowing the full range. Well, it's starting to expand, uh, let's say horizontally, metaphorically speaking. But it's this purified vision. And he's saying here, then you'll, then you'll see for yourself uh, Mount Meru and the Four Continents. And it's, there's a lot more to it than that. And that's the, brief, that's the brief version. And so I find that quite interesting. Right? It would be good to put to the test of experience. So there it is. Such a vision is called visionary clear light. By unifying that, so you see, the visionary clear light, let's say this is going horizontal, right? And the clear light of realization going vertical. Now, we're going to bring those two together, right? By unifying that with the clear light of realization, the basic, or I translate, now, translate this nowadays, the ground clear light, the ground clear light is identified. Okay, the primordial ground. It's the primordial ground of 
all existence. So there's nothing local about this. Like your substrate, your substrate is your local ground. It's the ground of your samsara. But Isabel's, Isabel's substrate is not my substrate. The seeds, the imprints and so forth stored in her substrate are not the ones in mine. When she has her dreams catalyzed by habitual propensities, catalyzed from her substrate, they're hers, they're not mine. Sometimes, occasionally, people will share a dream. It does happen. But overall, it's private. But no, this is way beyond that. You've cut through the substrate. You've cut through individuality. You've cut to ground of being, ground of the ultimate ground of being. So that's this ground or basic clear light. By unifying that with the clear light of realization, the ground clear light is identified, and there is no doubt that in the, in the first transitional process, you will become a Buddha. And that is the first session. That is the third session. So, but it, gives, it keeps you on letting you start over again. If it hasn't worked out, okay, we'll try this, try this. So he's being very, how would you say, helpful here. If you still do not apprehend it in that way, visualize your body as your personal deity, your yidam. And in the, in the immaculately lucid center of your abdomen. Now we're going to the navel chakra, which is like in an inflated balloon. What now, or, or placenta, they say, or, or the sheep's bladder. They'll just use, but anything that you know, blows up, these are no, often nomads. So give, give a, a metaphor that a nomad can understand, right? But something hollow, that's it. And so as you're visualizing your abdomen, you're definitely not visualizing intestines and all that kind of stuff, whatever's down there, you know, not doing that. So like an empty balloon, but just a hollow space. But now in that hollow space of your abdomen, so like an inflated balloon, in that, imagine the central lucid channel in the aspect of light. So this is the central channel, the avaduti. Right? Imagine that, appearing and yet without inherent nature. So again, translucent is a nice word. That you would never see something translucent, you'd never think, oh, it's really there. You could kind of grab hold of it. So translucent would be a nice, nice image or word that kind of captures the, the feeling of it. It's appearing and yet with no inherent nature, not really there from its own side. So now that's, that's taking place down there at the navel chakra. At your heart, imagine the purified essence of a bindu having a red sheen and imbued with clear radiance inside the central channel. Which, and so the central channel going from there down the, the navel chakra through the heart, of course, and then right up, up to the crown of the head. So inside the central channel, which passes straight through from the crown of your head to beneath the navel. Beneath the navel, specifically four finger widths. Beneath the navel, that's where the navel chakra is. That's the big one. That's a, an enormous powerhouse. That's when you're activating, when you're practicing Dumo. Dumo, is, it can be a practice. Milarepa, the par excellence, uh, master of Dumo. Uh, by doing such Dumo practice, by way of these energies, movement of energies, that, by bringing the energies into the central channel, that can lead you to realization of the innate mind of clear light, which is this clear light. So we're bringing these two together, kind of a Dzogchen approach and more of the Salong approach with a visualization of the, so these chakras, the navel chakra, the heart chakra, and the crown chakra. Originating from the purified essence of the vital energies, it is visualized in the aspect of glimmering light. And imagine that due to its radiance, the whole interior of your torso is of the nature of clear, resplendent light. So like a an extremely high voltage fluorescent tube, something like that. That it's there it is, you, you can see where exactly where it is, the navel chakra right through the center of the heart up to the top.
but then that just incandescent light and illuminating the whole space. Of course, the whole space of your body being empty. You visualize it as empty. So the whole space, the interior of your torso, visualize, seeing this as the nature of clear, resplendent light by maintaining that with luminous, empty, vivid awareness. Or you could say clear, doesn't matter. Clear, empty, vivid awareness without losing it. From the time that you fall asleep until you are in deep sleep, the clear light will be apprehended. So that's more of an energetic boost. The bokdun, that whole issue of boosting. Well, bring this into the central channel, into the heart chakra, into the into bindu, and then the clear light is realized. If it is not realized on the first try, with your companion, visualize that meditative object repeatedly, and by alternating among those meditative objects, one of the kinds of clear light will be apprehended. So again, um, we'll remember what Gyatranimucha said in his commentary a little bit earlier on. All of this is very feasible if you've achieved shamatha vipassana. If not, it's going to be difficult. But I, I read through to the end of this next chapter, The Natural Liberation of Awareness, just read his closing commentary. And it's very encouraging, again, just remembering the teaching. Uh, and I'm gonna, in fact, why not? It's right here. I'm going to read it. It's very short. Yeah, I come right to it, page 192. He's just gone through this, this accentuation of everything that comes in the current chapter on the natural liberation of dreaming. The next one being natural liberation of you know the process of, medita- of, of meditation. Um, but he says here, towards the top of 192, people with little background in Buddhism may receive these teachings, as long as they do so, with the intention, the, with the intention to practice. So those are the words of my perfect teacher. Uh, this was his choice. But he did speak from a position of being the lama of all the lamas in North America in the 70s. And there were a number of them. This is the one that Kapshi Dujanamachi chose, chose as his personal rep- representative for the entire continent. And then Dujanamachi's network of Dharma centers were called Yeshi Nimbo, Essence of Primordial Consciousness. And then he appointed Gatranamachi to be his, the director of the entire West Coast down to Mexico and up to Canada. And so that implies to me, it's not much of a stretch of imagination, that Dujanamacha had enormous trust and confidence in him to make him representative for a whole continent. And so Gatranamacha is known uh, for being more open with these teachings than some lamas. And I feel simply gratitude. Some lamas are very, very conservative, very close, uh, other, and there's a wide variety. But this was, was Gautrinamuja's choice. And I've never heard of any lama doing it that much. That even if you don't, like he, he said earlier, even if you're not a Buddhist. But here, even if you don't have much background in Buddhism. So the notion, it's so easy, and I know it myself. I know, but I come back, I look at my own background, and I know how to be rigid. Maybe it still shows, obviously, in which case I have obviously a lot of work to do. But I know rigid. Uh, it comes with discipline. I'm good at discipline, relatively speaking. And so it's so easy when we see the big, the big picture, the nine yanas, for example, shravakayana, and all the stages. You hear about the five paths, the ten bhumis. You see, whoa, that it's very easy to think. And I've, I've, I've done this repeatedly. I remember things that I said to my own lamas that, that were kind of like, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for empowerment. Okay, get empowerment. I'm not ready for bodhicitta. Yes, you are. You know, that, yes, there are nine yanas in the, in the Nyingma tradition, 
But the notion that the only way is to go step by step, plunkety, plunkety, plunk, 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 you know? Shravagayana, did you nail it? Pratyeka Buddha, did you nail it? Bodhisattva, did you nail it? And then the three outer tantras, the three inner tantras. Okay, you ready for Dzogchen? Okay, now wait a minute. There's the, there's the kind of long day, the expanse class, there's the mind class, and then there's the pith instruction class. These are going from coarse to subtle. So don't go too fast there. You're going to do the expanse class first. Okay, do that, master that. Okay, ready for mind, the mind class, semde? Okay, now you're going to do semde. Now you're ready for pith instruction, because this is the subtlest, right? Uh, wait a minute. With pith instruction, there's outer, inner, and secret. So now you have to do the outer. And then now you're ready for the inner. Now you're ready for the secret. Well, the um, larger essence, and just by and large, the Dzogchen teachings of Dujim Lingma, they're that one. The secret, maybe it's even the innermost secret, Yangsang, I think it's Yangsang, innermost secret of the pith instructions of Dzogchen. So it's the innermost, innermost, innermost of the highest. Right? Thank you. That was a German laughter, by the way. And we Northern Europeans know about alles in Ordnung, regelmäßig. And this is absolutely not in Ordnung and not regelmäßig at all. You know? I totally get it. I lived in Switzerland. I've been raised half in Switzerland, you know. I totally get it. Uh, and this is so Italian. <laughs> this is so Italian. Like, hey, I like, I like it very much, so let's just do it right now. What do I want to mess around with that? I like this much better. <laughs> so this is what Gatron is saying. Don't worry. Don't worry if you don't have a lot of background. Or as Dujum Lingba said, Padmasambhava said, and Vajra Essence, when he's just starting off, it's there in, the, in that, that book, Stilling the Mind, the root text, is that if you hear the Dzogchen teachings, and this is a matter of intuition, it's not how intelligent you are, it's not how brilliant you are, how compassionate you are, it's intuition, it's intuition. But it says Padmasambhava, the Lakeborn Vajra says, if upon hearing the Dzogchen teachings, you find yourself simply intuitively drawn, you find just faith arising. And it's not because somebody was really smart and gave a lot of logical syllogisms about how utterly rational and intellectually compelling Dzogchen is. Uh, it's right from the heart. If intuitively you're drawn to the practice, you have faith in the practice, you would like to do the practice, then he said, that's enough. That's good enough. Do not start second-guessing yourself now. And think, oh, but no, I'm a beginner. Oh, I haven't followed step by step all the nine yanas. Said, enough. If you have the faith, if you have the aspiration, the yearning, the intuition, then go for it. Because so much, so much of what we bring to this life, the vast majority, is hidden from sight. You know, with the iceberg, with what we can see as we look at individual here and there, what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. You know, this person, oh, just beginner in Dharma, doesn't really understand Madhyamaka yet. Oh, this person has studied a lot, can debate away in Madhyamaka really well, knows all the five paths and the ten bumis. That's all very well. It's just the tip of the iceberg. But what are we bringing to this life? It's called Ketop Karasa. Karasa. Ketop and Jangtop. That's it. Ketop. Ketop ki yunden dan. Jangtop ki yunden. Ketop ki yunden. Those qualities that we have, that we acquired by birth. 
just that we're born with the qualities. Some, you know, some, some children are just naturally generous. They're compassionate. Some are, you know, some maybe go directly into samadhi and so forth. Some are brilliant musicians and so on and so on. But there are things we're born with that maybe are gifts. Yeah, our gifts we're born with. That's what it be. But then there's jang top. Jang top. And those are the abilities, the talents, the skills that we acquire through training. Jang top ki yunden. The skills, talents, and so forth we acquire through training. Right? Hard work. Now between those two, what you're born with and what you acquire in this life through training, gotcha, which one's more powerful? The one you're born with, yeah. And so, but then, you know, for us who don't remember our past lives, how do you know what you're born with? You know, in terms of, are you really ready for Dzogchen or not? How would you possibly know? Well, in the Vajra essence, he says, well, check these qualities. Do you have these qualities? If you have them, then you're qualified, you enter- go right in. But none of them are, you know, incredibly high. It just shows utter authenticity, dedication to the practice, right? But as a simple point, there's Gyatradamuchi. Even if you do not, if people with little background in Buddhism may receive these teachings and practice them, and there was no empowerment at the beginning of this, and he did not, even though he did, of course, he went through the whole text, he taught the preliminaries, he didn't say, okay, I'm not going to teach you the shamatha or anything beyond that until you finish X, Y, Z, uh, prostrations and, you know, Vajrasattva and so forth. He just went through the text. So, this is Gyatodamuchi, this sublime lama, an absolute lineage holder, trained by three of the five emanations of Dujumlingba, not only Dujumlingbaji, but two others in Tibet, received these transmissions multiple times, you know, all flowing into one lama. Uh, he really, he's not stepping outside the tradition, put it that way. I think we can be very confident of that. So does this mean all the lamas are equally open to him? No, it doesn't. Nor, the sh- nor should they be. That all the lamas should be like out of a cookie cutter. They all like, you know, pre-programmed robots or something. No, they have different styles. As they should. Namkinoba has a style unique to him. And then Chajaramachi, very conservative, very, you know, very traditional. It's wonderful. And then so different lamas, but they're all authentic. You know, the qualified one, all authentic. So I just wanted to highlight that. That yes, there is, you know, there are these multiple stages. But then coming back, again, I'm just reporting, just uh, giving words to the thoughts that are coming to my mind. Gangchanamachi, I mentioned it before, but I'll remind you that he said, you know, Many people, when they look at the nine yanas, he gave a whole talk on the nine yanas. And he said, many people see this as completely hierarchical. That is, you're not ready for the Pratika Buddha unless you've got a good solid base in Shravaka. And right, you know, march, 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 step by step. And, and then this is the highest, and that's the highest of the highest, and that's the super highest of the highest. I said, many people look that way. He said, but that's not my view. Actually, he said, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. Here's what I like. It's one cake. And you take a sliver of the cake, and whatever is suitable to you, you take that. And you don't worry about whether your sliver is higher than somebody else's sliver. It's the sliver that you find suitable. You know. So I say that with great appreciation and really delight. You know, that's, that's gathered much with openness. That's not better than some lamas who are very conservative. And they're not better than lamas who are more moderate, kind of in between. It's just, that's the way it should be. I like, I, I must I say, I like that. That there's no, I don't, want to, I don't want to be pejorative of any tradition, but there's no insistence on conformity. There's no con- insistence that everybody toe the same line. You know, I think it's wonderful. I really do. So we'll finish.
the nature of the clear light, even after the stream of thoughts has ceased and you've gone to sleep, is a luminous and clear phenomenon of the dream state, which is like the center of lucid space remaining nakedly without an object. I think that's clear. When you're about to wake up, it turns into continuous samadhi. So there's a lo- lovely symmetry here. The symmetry is from bringing Tsongkhapa together with Dzogchen. He did receive uh, teachings from a great, high, very realized Nyingma Lama. Can't quite get his name right now. But he sought him out. This Lama had direct vision of Vajrapani. So he would just consult with Vajrapani when he had any questions. And Tsongkhapa received teaching from him. And, what I re- and I read the reference of this in the Tibetan, and it didn't say exactly which teachings were given. But the strong impression I had was that there were Dzogchen teachings. And when he, having received those, his comment was, this is karasa, complete and flawless. Complete and flawless. And that was his whole commentary on Dzogchen. That I have nothing more to add. This is fine. Whereas there were other areas, here in the 14th, early 15th century, there were other areas of, of Buddhism where there was definitely room for improvement. So, for example, in the Vinaya, he brought in very strong Vinaya, very pure, very, very sharp Vinaya, monastic discipline. So the monks are real monks. They're not kind of waffling, kind of lay, kind of monkish. No, the monks are monks, really good. So when you see somebody in monastic robes, uh, monastic robes, men or women, then you know, okay, that one is really practicing. You know, he brought that, and then his, I mean, he brought in many things just to add greater clarity, precision, radiance. Uh, but another one was just his, his extraordinary exposition of, the, exposition of the relationship between dependent origination and emptiness. Again, that was a bit of a tangent, but where is it coming from? I think I can pick it up. Oh, yeah. In his way, 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 way back. Remember, remember when people were practicing shamatha? You may remember back there? Uh, Tsongkhapa's brilliant and truly definitive presentations of shamatha in his different lam rooms. Uh, he says, once you've achieved shamatha, uh, there are not only the benefits while you're in, just resting in shamatha, having achieved it, there are also many benefits, really practical, enormously beneficial trait effects that carry on in between sessions. Uh, but these, some of these will also carry on into sleep. And he said, one of those is that when you fall asleep, your sleep is suffused with samadhi. So the power of your samadhi doesn't stop when you go out. It slips right into sleep. So you can imagine, if you have that, how easy would this be? A hundred times? A thousand times easier? You know? so, so that's shamatu, shamatu to vipassana to dream yoga. Just showing, oh, that would be so much more powerful if you had that. And here's the other way. And that is, when you're about to wake up, this awareness of, of pristine awareness it turns into continuous samadhi. So you come out, you're waking up, and you're just coming out, and you're just flowing out into samadhi as you engage with the world around you. A mind that is totally collected, gathered, still, like a laser. That could be good. The visionary clear light, now you remember this one, this illuminates your environment all the way out to Mount Meru and the continents. The visionary clear light entails visual appearances being present as if you are perceiving them during the daytime, even though you are asleep. So again, so similar to a person who's, let's say, had a heart attack and they're dead for a while. And then with the, with the wonders of modern medicine, 
they bring that person back. They get the heart pumping again, and, and the brain starts activated, and so forth. But for some time, they really aren't. It's not a near-death experience. There's a book. It's by Sam Parnias, M-P-A-R-N-I-A-S, and a colleague. I just remember his name. I can't remember the title right now. You can find it on Amazon. It's really easy. But he's, quite, he's a cardiologist, and he's quite insistent that some of the accounts, because he really studied this, like Pin van Lommel in, in, in Holland and others, um, and he said, what I've witnessed here are not near-death experiences. Some, some are, of course, but other ones, no, they're post-death experiences, where people are having experiences, and the brain is just, it's, it's finished, it's gone. But then, of course, it didn't start to deteriorate, so when they're brought back, they're not brain damaged. So, quite similar. So the countryside and so forth are clearly seen. You may, you may think you have not fallen asleep because you're so vividly aware of your environment. Why would you, how, how could you be, be asleep? But you're seeing it not by way of coarse mind and not by way of subtle mind. Not by way of fine physical senses. Of course, your eyes are closed and so forth, but not by way of the substrate consciousness either. By way of rikpa. And that is illuminating your space. You may think you have not fallen asleep, but you can be awakened. You may think you have fallen asleep, but you will clearly see the things inside your house the ones that are actually there. If that is unified with a clear light of realization, so again we see this, the clear light of realization being the vertical, the clear light, the, the, what was it called, the vision, the visionary clear light being of the field of phenomena. If this is unified with a clear light of realization, this is the best, and you'll certainly be liberated in the intermediate state. In the important instructions on the six transitional processes, this is called the clear light, natural liberation of delusion, samaya. So it's how, again, this marvelous phrase, it, the whole text is called rangdul. Rangdul is in the title, and that's where this natural liberation comes in the English title. Um, that this is the natural liberation of delusion. And just to repeat a tiny bit, and that is that the Sutrayana approach, what is Lafayana approach? to counteracting delusion, is you've got delusion here, and you bring something that is just the opposite of delusion, and you hammer it. You obliterate it, you know, like throwing a hand grenade at a, at a target, and then the target's gone. And so you're practicing Vipassana. You're practicing Vipassana, you're gaining insight, and by the power of insight, then the contrary delusion is banished. It's gone. It's but you took an antidote, you applied it like, a, like an antidote to a disease, and then the two strike, and then you know, one is gone. And that really is the, the approach of Karasa. They call it Tsenitakpa. Tsenitakpa, and there's Okshen literature, Tsenitakpa, the vehicle of signs, where you're, ad- you're attending to phenomena as signs which are causes for achieving enlightenment. So you're still operating out of the context of being a sentient being, applying antidotes to fix those parts of your system that are awry, and then you clean them up, and then you proceed along, step by step along the path. But this one, of course, is taking the path, the, the fruition as the path. And so your delusion, which would be otherwise counteracted by the four applications of mindfulness, by, by, by meditating and emptiness, and so forth, that same delusion, it releases itself. And you set it up so that it can release. You set it up by not reinforcing it. You set it up with these practices in the uh, clear light. Practices pertaining to dreaming. So that's that. So we're finished with that. 
chapter, that section, we now have about 10 days or so to deal with the deepening. It's not going in a different direction. It's going in the same direction, and now just letting the bottom drop out and go much deeper. It's an extraordinary array of practices pertaining to three spaces. That's a very classic teaching within Dzogchen. I've seen it in a number of the, uh, the writings of Dujum Lingba and also Sarakando, a brilliant presentation by her and her commentary to, um, to Buddhahood without meditation. But any questions right now pertaining to the practice? We have just a bit short time, but anything coming up right now? Okay, yes, Hosa. It's coming, yeah? Oh, we'll do you first, it doesn't matter. I, I, just, I chose you, I'm, I'm, I'm playing for it. There will be time, but I just, since I chose you, I don't want to now bump you off. Yeah. <laughs> it was very kind of you, though, to defer. And we'll, we will have time for Amir. Um, my it, questions. Is, is it on? Is it on? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, good. My question is on the four immeasurables. <laughs> four immeasurables, good, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, in, the, in Empathetic Joy... The near enemy is frivolous joy, mm-hmm. and the remedy is loving kindness. Yeah. Could you please explain the rationale for loving kindness being the remedy? Boy, if, it'd be hard for me to imagine you're asking a question I'd be happier to respond to, because I really love it. It's not, it's not me. I know the answer, and it just, it just makes me happy to think about it and to talk about it, because there's a correct answer, and I can give it to you. Um, but that is, it's an anomaly. It's an anomaly. You can imagine if you fall into aloof, aloof indifference, that, oh, well, yeah, attending to the suffering of others, that would kind of get you out of your lethargy and so forth, right? But this one, this one's the interesting one out of all the four. This is one like, hmm, what? Why? And I think I can explain, to, to, certainly to my satisfaction. <laughs> so there we are. You know, and I'm sure probably all of you here know people, among your friends, acquaintances, and so forth, at least people you know by... by indirectly by way of the media, who are just flat out enjoying their lives as they are with no dharma. No spiritual practice, no meditation, no reading, no nothing. They're just, samsara is working out really well for them. You know, they're in good health, their families are well, they enjoy their jobs, they live in a nice place, they got great vacations, they enjoy their stuff, you know, and they see you going off and disappearing off to Phuket to watch your breath for eight weeks, and they think, well, okay, what's up? Whatever, but that's, you know, so they're, call it frivolous joy, just call it mundane, call it hedonic, why just call it, they're completely content with and fixated upon hedonic pleasure. And when they think of the good life, it's what they have already, but more. That's it, more. And they don't really have any incentive to think outside that box because it's working, it's working. And, you know, I'll get a raise next year, and then I can have an even nicer vacation. We'll go first class instead of business class, whatever. So things are just looking good, you know. And so this is the near enemy of empathetic joy. Uh, And it can be incredibly stagnating. So life just slips by. And then when you look back, and you look back at all the pleasures you've had, maybe vacations and pleasures of all kinds that you've had, when you're looking back and you're on your deathbed, and that's what your life was all about, having as many good times as possible and being as skillful as possible in terms of avoiding bad times, unpleasant people, situations, and so forth. And let's imagine you did a really good job. You were just really fortunate. You look back at all those pleasures you've had, 
and whether you actually had those experiences or you simply dreamed it, there's no difference. Not now. You're remembering a dream, you're remembering the actual. The dream is no longer exists, the experiences no longer exist. It's just this little puff of a memory, you know. And so how to get out? So find to, to answer the question and we'll have dinner. Loving kindness. Loving kindness is not when it goes when you bring wisdom to it. It's not simply, may I be really fortunate in samsara. You know, we don't need to practice that really. You know. It's going deeper. And the, the phrase is, you know it so well. May all sentient beings be endowed with happiness and the causes of happiness. And the causes of happiness. The wealth, the fame, the good looks, the sensual pleasures, and all of that they're cooperative conditions that may give rise. They may catalyze. They're cooperative conditions that may catalyze happiness. But the number of wealthy people who have everything coming inside and are not happy makes it completely clear these are not causes of happiness. They are catalyst cooperative conditions that may or may not catalyze what you really want, and that's a sense of happiness, being truly joyful, content, fulfilled, and so forth. And so when people, when we ourselves, because it's not us and them, like we're the good people and those are the you know, hedonic people. We fall into it ourselves, of course. But when you sometimes get complacent, things are going smoothly, 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 then, and we see, I'm kind of getting, I've kind of lost the, lost the edge. My hair is no longer on fire. Uh, I've kind of gotten really comfortable here. I've got a little bit, I've got a little, little Dharma practice going. I've got this going, I've got this going. Yeah, you're like a cook and say, yeah, the little Dharma pot over there, keep, keep growing, bubbling away, that's nice, but I've got these other pots going and they're really yummy. Because samsara is working out pretty well, but keep that little pot going. I might want it one day. You know, when you get complacent, then it's time, almost like having an intervention. Isn't that what we call like when a person is an alcoholic, they have an intervention. If they have a drug drug problem, have an intervention. How you have an intervention with yourself, because you've fallen into kind of an addiction, which is kind of a myopia. There's a lot you're not seeing here, and that is little things like aging, sickness, and death. They spoil everything. And to think that says this is gonna just this is gonna work out really well. You know, a total focus on the hedonic, and you get older and it's still gonna be good. And most of your friends will die and it's still gonna be so good. And after a while I said, Well, but no it won't. And so the loving kindness comes in and it's posing a gentle, wise, and loving question. What truly makes you happy? What truly makes you happy? It's cooperative and it's very nice. But anything you get can and will be lost. Anything you acquire can and will be lost. Anything that's born, like your children, your spouse, your friends, anything that's born will die. Any elevation with them, samsara will, give, will result in falling. And then what's the final one? There's a fourth one. Oh, yeah. Wherever there's parting, there, wherever there's meeting, there's parting. Wherever there's, and that's meeting with anybody, a loved one, a possession, anything, wherever there's parting, there is, it's entropy, it's the entropy of samsara. And so when you dwell on that, it's kind of like it's sobering up. It's an intervention. It's an intervention with reality. And saying, you know, I'm happy you're experiencing good fortune. There's no, we're not going to be a sourpuss here. Say, oh, I wish you had some sickness, that would get you, you know, that would sober you up or something. No, not at all. But in the midst of good fortune, to see, yes, and this is all so fragile, and everything here will be lost. We have no idea when, but 
but it will be lost, and that's certain. In light of that fact, now, what are the causes of happiness? And if you know Dharma, you have an answer to that. And if you don't, do not, if you don't know Dharma, well, you're going to just jump right back into that hedonic pool and, and wish for the best. This is why the vision, the vision of Dharma, the vision, the vision, the vision is so important, that we see we have a choice. Now, I always come back to that one. We have a choice. That yes, we can devote ourselves to trying to be hedonically lucky and fortunate and work with you know, hard work and intelligence and so forth, try to be lucky, or we can cultivate and really then find genuine happiness that carries through the ups and downs. And we're going to see a lot of ups and enormous downs. You know, in this, we're already seeing it. Well, you know, no commentary needed. So that's what it is. It's really a very gentle, wise wake-up call to recall what truly will make you happy. Why don't you focus on that? Don't lose it. Okay. Good. Hola, so Amir, you're up, you're up tomorrow. Enjoy your dinner. Enjoy your tzok. And I'll see you tomorrow morning.